Hey, John, we're going to talk with Ken Condon today. You know, he's got a long history of racing. That guy's done over 170 miles an hour on a motorcycle. How fast have you ever gone on a bike? I haven't gone 170, but I love the discussion that he talks about when your ass puckers in a corner. Are we really going to talk about your ass puckering on this podcast? Well, I think we are. <laughs> okay, great. Welcome to the Behind the Bars podcast, where we discuss all things motorcycles, memories, and mayhem. Oh, this is awesome. Sponsored by Wilkins Harley-Davidson. Let's get this thing started. Here's John and Mark. Okay, everyone. We have a special guest, Ken Condon, and I'm not even going to take a chance here at providing his bio. Um, Ken is, uh, he visited our dealership up here in Vermont, um, packed house. Uh, but in our preparations, I um, told him that, or I put in the description that he was a, uh, uh, a famous a person and he wrote back and said uh, he wanted me to take out that, that word. So I'm just going to go ahead and ask Ken to, to lead off and give us a little bit of a bio. But we're super excited to have you, Ken, on the line here. So Ken, tell us, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself here. I mean, that's what's what's intriguing to listeners is, you know, how you got to where you are today to being one of the, um, you know, folks that it's an author, um, an expert in in cornering um, several books, writing articles for magazines. But tell, you know, how'd you get into that? Oh boy, it starts way back. My dad brought a mini bike home for my brother and I to share. That would be back in uh, the Nixon administration. You do the math. And, uh, <laughs> so from there, my brother got a, a different motorcycle. We were sick of sharing. Actually, there were still mini bikes. It was a Sears mini bike, you know, pull, pull rope kind of started. And that's what got it really started. My dad rode uh, a you know, small uh, motorcycle when he was in Vietnam. And when he came back, he, he had picked one up. It was, uh, geez, I don't even remember what it was now, a Jawa maybe. And uh, so he had a little bit of a bug in him, and he passed it on. And so when I started uh, in high school, uh, I had had a 1967 Honda CB160, and it was a street version, but I stripped it down and rode it as a dirt bike until I could get a, a, a street permit. Got that when I was 16. Uh, then I rode, 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 rode motorcycles. I had Triumph, Bonneville. That was, that was my first, first motorcycle. Uh, that I started to really travel on until it broke down too many times, and then I then I went to uh, to more reliable machines, and then let's see, this is a quick rundown. In 1986, I started uh, racing, road racing motorcycles. I had a Yamaha RD 400, and it was a two-stroke, and uh, that was just club racing up at the old Loudon Track, uh, which is now New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Back then, it was Briar Motorsports Park, and it was. It was definitely grassroots racing. It was a lot of fun. And then I did that till 88. Then I, my daughter, Janine, was born in 90. Let's see. And then that, I was still riding all the way through that. Uh, but then in 95, I started, I, I trained to be a motorcycle safety foundation instructor in Massachusetts, where I live. And I did that uh, up till like three years ago. So about 20, almost 25 years doing that. And once I did that, things really started opening up. I just felt like I had really started to know. I thought I knew how to ride before, and I rode well. I mean, I'd raced and everything else, but once you start to teach, you become, you know, start to really realize how much you don't know. And so I became just much more 
involved in, in understanding the dynamics of motorcycles and understanding all the, the facets, uh, and it really made motorcycling just a lot more interesting to me. Hey, Ken, you, um, you, you mentioned your racing uh, history, and that's fascinating to me. I'm wondering what racing motorcycles and you know truly pushing them to their limits taught you about riding uh, on a street. You know, with, you know, for the everyday rider, what what did racing on a track uh, help you understand about the machines? That's a great question. We get I get that all the time, particularly when we start trying to promote track days for street riders as a training uh, venue as an opportunity. So to answer your question specifically, when I started racing. Uh, the first thing is that I realized that it took a lot more finesse to ride a motorcycle really well. Now, I was able to get by just fine on the street. You know, I just uh, didn't challenge myself very much. I kept out of trouble mostly. Uh, though I do remember one, uh, one incident where I ended up in the grass, you know, on the outside of a corner because I just didn't know, understand the dynamics of a motorcycle. So once I needed to uh, become much more precise, with my control of the motorcycle when I was racing, uh, that's when I, I really stepped things up. So it, it did not really change how I rode a motorcycle on the street because I still needed to ride within the limits of the environment. You know, I didn't want to get speeding tickets and I didn't want to crash into a telephone pole or a Buick or something like that. So I, I rode still the same way, but my skill level uh, the, the tools that I had at my disposal were so much sharper and developed so that I never ran off the road again in the, in the street. So that, just that skill development alone was just, you know, it's just precious. You know, it's unbelievable. You can't almost get that level of skill without actually putting it into a really concentrated area like the racetrack. So, so Ken, you know, along those same lines, I mean, you know, being that people are listening to this, what are some things that that are important to you that if if i was new to motorcycling or maybe i've been riding for 20 years what what are some pieces of pieces of advice that, that ken would give to someone just listening and, and how could they implement that without actually seeing a video or or seeing something you know the first thing is uh is look in the mirror and notice that you probably don't know everything you should know so right away once you acknowledge that there's more to know uh, about motorcycling, uh, that that alone is the first step. Whether it end up being it, it's from a safety perspective or from an enjoyment perspective, which I contend that those are both the same. How can you have fun if you don't feel like you're going to make it home at the end of the day? Um, is that once you acknowledge that, then you start to look more carefully at your own riding, and uh, then you can start to ask the questions. Uh, one thing I said when, when I gave the talk up, at, up at, at Wilkins was, you know, to congratulate everybody that was there. They were the top 5% of all motorcyclists because they showed up, because they were there and they asked that question. Now, beyond that, once I get somebody's attention, um, then I start uh, uh, the practical aspects of, of, say, cornering, which I focus a lot on cornering because it accounts for about half of the fatalities. Uh, that it's just the rider, single vehicle crash, the rider and the corner. There's no other, you know, a texting team involved or, you know, erratic, you know, commuter, nothing like that. It was just the, the rider was unable to negotiate the curve. Now, yes, it could be because of sand in the road and that kind of thing, but that's, again, you have to argue that that's the responsibility of the rider to either predict that's going to be there and ride accordingly or see it uh, early enough 
know, evasive maneuvers. I see. So you would say, I mean, it sounds like your your um, rider coach training is is kicking in, and that piece is a self assessment, is the most important or one of the most important pieces. But then, you know, the the um, search, evaluate, and execute. And as far as the cornering goes, I mean, what are some techniques that you can describe, you know, for a listener? that helps them maybe corner a little bit better or want to learn more so that they do sign up for some of your, your training that you do provide? Um, so then that's, that's the one part about it is when you start to realize that, uh, that cornering itself is one of the most challenging and most fun parts of, of, of riding a motorcycle. You know, yes, travel and all that is, is, a, is a great facet of that, but you know, cornering is what we end up doing uh, on these trips, and you know, oftentimes we pursue the twistiest bit of pavement that we can find. So once you understand that cornering is, is something that, if once you master it, that motorcycling becomes more fun. Now, to be specific, you know, uh, reco- uh, referring back to the MSF curriculum, is slow look, uh, press, and roll. Uh, so we're talking about the actual function of, of uh, actions of, of cornering. Um, most times when I'm working with students. Uh, on the street, because my I run a riding in the zone um, uh, motorcycle training in Massachusetts. I take people right out on the street, and we use communicators, um, and I coaching them in real time. Um, the first thing we talk about is just how to read the road and identify you know, just how much they need to slow down. Because not every corner you need to slow down significantly. Some you need to brake. Some you need to downshift to match the speed of the engine to the road. Um, but not, sometimes you don't. But more times than not, the problem is that people don't uh, accurately uh, judge uh, what they're about to get themselves into. So we have very specific techniques for, for recognizing just how, at least guessing, a very good educated guess about how tight the turn is going to be, and that's how you can judge how much you slow down. And again, that's the key. If you go into a corner too fast, you know, good luck. I don't care if you're... The, a top expert racer, you go into a corner way too fast, you're now in survival mode, and you're pulling out all the tools that you really don't ever want to use. Yes, you, you hopefully you've got them, but the smart rider never uses those those extreme superior skills. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So the other, I'll continue, is that when we start to, uh, to look uh, ahead, and we know what to look for very specifically, because it's one thing to say, just look as far ahead as you, as you can, uh, that's not all that helpful. Yes, that's that's ultimately a very general uh, guideline to take, but yeah, once you know what exactly to look for and then be able to consciously evaluate it, that's when things start to change. So when you know that the corner is a you know a 30 to 30 mile per hour corner, you know go down to, to 25 or 30 something along those lines, then you know the next stages are that you can get the motorcycle leaned uh, to the main angle that you feel comfortable with and that the pavement and the traction available uh, allows you. Uh, so those are all the different parts of, that you have to evaluate. And because if you are not comfortable leaning a motorcycle, well, you, you have only a few options available to you. One is that you have to slow down more uh, because you're not really going to feel comfortable leaning uh, to the degree that you need to to stay uh, in the lane if the turn starts to, to tighten up. 
And, you know, Mark and I were talking about that earlier. Is the the, the momentum, right? I mean, yeah, we were we were we were talking about uh, you know in certain circumstances wanting to go into that corner with with some momentum going into that corner too slow can also be an issue. Ken, is that right? Oh, absolutely. Now you got to think about there. Usually, you're you're sharing the road with other people, including if you're on a group ride. That if you slow down too much, now you're creating another hazard. So, if you're, this is another reason why uh, becoming a proficient cornering, a uh, master at cornering, uh, just it plays well in safety. Um, but in that, you know, you'll go in there, you won't hopefully go off the road. But it also allows you to go in there fast enough so that you're not creating a, a problem that momentum going in. And now, so now when you uh, are accurate about knowing how fast you can go in, so that it's not too slow, not too fast that it allows you then to execute the corner, the rest of the corner properly, which what you want to do is slow down enough so that you can comfortably get the bike lean to the lean angle you need to stick the radius of the corner and then get on the gas. Now, the throttle is an important part of this because the motorcycle wants about 60% of its load on the back of the bike, on the rear tire. So when you accelerate, the load goes toward the back. If you brake, it goes toward the front. So when you're, once you start tipping into the corner, at, as soon as you pretty much get the lean angle you want, you want to start picking up that throttle. So you're not, not only are you maintaining that momentum going into the corner uh, so that you're not slowing down too much and then having to get on the gas a lot, so you're maintaining a nice smooth roll speed is what we call it in the, on the racetrack. And then you can smoothly and gradually uh, pick up the throttle and accelerate out. And the motorcycle, the chassis, the tires, it just is like a dance. It just it feels beautiful. It's wonderful. So, so Ken, when you're out on the when you're out on the road riding casually these days, do you ever find yourself uh, falling into racer mode and maybe uh, you know trying to revisit the track uh, out there on the streets? Come on, you can That's, be clean with us. Come clean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come clean. Uh, you know what? There was a time when that was a problem, but it, it, it isn't <laughs> anymore because I'm on the racetrack. You know, at least once a month. I do. I put about almost 3,000 track miles on my Street Triple Triumph uh, every year. So it's easy for me to separate those two. So when I'm on the, on the street, I'm either I'm on, my, on my Triumph Tiger 800, I'm out, I'm touring the, the roads for enjoyment, or I'm working with students. So it's fairly easy for me to do, to separate those two. And I also know that when I'm, uh, when I do go out and I start picking up the pace a little bit, that I'm very cautious about not overriding the environment, that I know that I can do it, because I know my skills are there. I can do a 100-mile-an-hour corner with my knee dragging all the way around it, um, but that doesn't mean I should do it or that, it's even, that I'll survive if, if I try to do that on the street. That's just crazy talk, you know? <laughs> so, so, Ken, how, how fast have you ever gone on a motorcycle, whether it's on a track or on a street? What, what's the top speed you've ever achieved? Uh, that's fun questions. I like this stuff. <laughs> it's, I was... Uh, I write for Motorcyclist Magazine, and they sent me off to, uh, to some press launches. And uh, one time, my first press launch wasn't actually with that magazine, it was with another one that's not around anymore. They sent me to the Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas, which is a world-class racetrack. And it was to test the brand-new BMW S1000RR, which is their flagship sport bike, to, you know, close to 200 horsepower. And Coda, the Circuit of the Americas, has a back straight that is know, three quarters of a mile long, maybe a little bit more than that. And this thing, it, even though the corner that came out onto the straight was about a 40 mile an hour corner, I still 
uh, reached 178 miles an hour. Holy cow. On the speedometer. Now, you have to keep in mind that uh, street speedometers, especially when they get up to that range, they aren't terribly accurate. If you take, <laughs> if you take 7% off there, it's still pretty darn close to 170 miles an hour. And then I had to slow down to about another 40-mile-an-hour corner at the end of the straightaway. But good times. That was some fun, man. That was a lot. It's a rush. i got to tell you that when on the racetrack on my street triple, I can regularly hit 130, you know, even on the tracks that we ride here in New England. Palmer is a great track, and Thompson. Um, so I can get up there pretty quick. Um, and 130 is pretty regular, and that's normal for me. Um, again, when I'm riding on the street, I'm pretty much, you know, like no, most, hopefully most people, which is no more than like 10 over the speed limit, depending on where I'm riding, I might go up to 15 over, but that's really about all, all it is on the street. On the, on the racetrack, you get up to 100 miles an hour, that's like normal life when you're, when you're on the racetrack at the level that I ride. So, Ken, along the lines of all this, you know, what, when you're coaching, what, what's the most common piece that you're, you're having to constantly coach on? If you had 100 people come through your class, one of your classes out on the road, I mean, what do you... What do you find yourself having to coach a lot on that, that seems, okay, once they get it, they get it. But it seems like every single person that comes in, you've got to teach them something about X. Sure. So we always end up starting our days um, with a parking lot session. And everybody, I don't even remember anybody who's never requested working on slow speed maneuvers. So on my blog at ridinginthezone.com, uh, I monitor the most popular articles, and I have over 100 articles up there. Um, and the most popular one at almost every time I check is how to ride a motorcycle slowly. Because most people struggle with it. I mean, motorcycles, you can jump off it if you're doing 50 miles an hour. It'll keep going. It doesn't need you. You know, eventually it'll fall over. But the slow speed maneuvers, that's the tricky stuff, and we do that every ride we take. So that's the first thing we end up doing. Then we move pretty quickly. We're out on the street, you know, after an hour or so, depending on the person. Um, and then I start recognizing uh, weaknesses in visual um, acuity, what they're looking for, uh, whether they're going into corners a little bit too fast for their ability, whether they've evaluated and ride within their skill level. That's what I do in the first evaluation, make sure everybody's safe and they're riding within those limits. If I see any issues like that, then we kind of uh, step aside and we, we work on any fundamentals we need to. Uh, but once we get past those things, if I understand that the person understands counter-steering sufficiently, that they're not riding uh, over their head, or that they're, they're, they're riding beyond the safety limits of the street, uh, once that's all good, then we start really focusing on timing uh, and the visible uh, stuff that I talked about before, about you know what to look for uh, exactly. At, and because we're using communicators, it's, the timing of that is perfect. I say, okay, now notice this and then go to that and then so then we're really timing things up so that you're very efficient and you're working with the dynamics of the motorcycle and then suddenly they're like well i you know like take a break for a break it's always like you know i've been riding for 30 years and i just didn't know that there was this much to it and more times than not i said no you this is probably not really anything that's terribly new right and they say well no but thinking about it this level of precision is new and it, it's a game changer for people so Ken I, 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 I want to put a hypothetical out there you know despite um, everybody's intentions to, to ride safely uh, you know if 
if if a biker if somebody is about to lose control of a motorcycle and it seems like they're going to have to put the bike down what's your best advice i mean if if, if the situation is uh, you know, unrecoverable what do you tell riders to do in that situation so i tell them i hope they have good health insurance because <laughs> and what i end up then i back up after we have a little chuckle right uh is i say that Mostly I want to talk to you more about how to avoid that situation. Of course. Now, I'm not going to dodge your question because I will answer it. Um, well, we don't allow anybody to dodge our questions <laughs> on this podcast, so it works uh, out for all of us. <laughs> no dodging. Got it. So uh, when somebody uh, is in that situation, I want to make sure that they, you know, I'll ask them. I said, well, has this happened to you before? And they said, yeah, well, I didn't actually have to, you know, I didn't actually crash, but it sure seemed close. And then we'll talk about that and we'll analyze what they could have done differently because I want to make sure that what I leave with them are the skills to avoid that situation, to stay on the motorcycle and to not have to, again, pull out those superior skills that hopefully they have. Uh, so, but to answer your question, uh, you'll often hear uh, people say that they had to lay it down, and that's, uh, that's one of these things that makes most uh, all of our uh, professional safety uh, instructors cringe because we know that once the, if there's any sort of deliberate laying down, it's essentially it's a deliberate crash. Um, now, there, you know, crap happens, and sometimes you're in situations that, you know, even the, the most skilled rider is going to have to improvise and do the best they can. Um, now, you see, like, uh, Mission Impossible, you know, or something where they, you know, they'll lay the bike down to go under a tractor trailer, you know, or something like that. Okay, if that, if it means, you know, taking off your, your, you know, decapitating you or going under it, you know, if you have that level of, of skill and the wherewithal uh, to be able to do that, you know, hey, good for you. But ultimately, when you're in a corner, this is a more likely situation is that people get into a corner a little too fast. They, what I call the pucker moment happens. They go, <gasps> and then they... I've been there, Ken, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, a lot. Everybody has. And that's what I say. One of the things I do is I say, how many people, in, in, when I have audiences... Uh, how many people have experienced that? And, you know, usually, you know, two-thirds of the hands go up, and I say, okay, good. Well, the rest of you are liars. <laughs> Everybody's got into that situation. So what ends up happening is, is that you get into that, you come around a corner, and you go, oh, I misjudged this corner. I'm going in a little too fast. Um, I know I should have slowed down, but that bell has been rung, and I can't unring it. What do I do? Okay, so now if you've got what is what level of severity are you at here? If, if you're in a corner that you're just uncomfortable with and you're kind of puckering, uh, you got the, the first solution is to actually is to lean the bike more. Now, if the corner's tightening up, okay, you're at, at a given lean angle at a given speed. Now, you can decelerate and brake, but that typically upsets the chassis and can cause your tires to, to lose traction. And you, usually when that happens, that's a very common thing for people to do are in a panic cornering situation is they give up. So they stand the bike up and they, as they brake, and then they end up in the oncoming lane or in the guardrail. That's the common scenario. Now, a rider that, uh, that just misjudges and comes into a corner and they need to lean more, they, if they can, if they can just sort of lean the bike in more, then they can tighten their radius and they're good to go. Uh, even if you decelerate a little bit, if you chop the throttle, you're actually risking the, uh, the same... Uh, uh, sort of traction loss that's possible if you brake. Um, and also when you decelerate, the bike wants to stand up. 
or actually it depends. It depends. Some bikes actually want to dip in, so that would be a, a, in your favor. But usually when you chop off, the chassis reacts by, by being, a, like, abrupt and not, in the fa- and not in your favor. So if you feather the throttle, you don't accelerate anymore, but you feather to a neutral throttle and then counter-steer and drop the bike into the corner, that's usually sufficient. Now, here's the caveat. If you've never leaned your motorcycle to that degree that you need to, if you've never done it before, you will not suddenly do it. You will not suddenly be Superman. Mm. You've never leaned your bike past, say, 30 degrees before, and, you, and the, your situation requires you to lean to 35 degrees. You won't do it. Uh, if you've never dragged your floorboards before, and you first drag your floorboards, you will panic, and you will straighten the bike up. Uh, again, unless you're one of the half a percent that I've never met, that's just human nature. You're going to respond that way. And, and and the other part of it is that when you're cornering, you panic, where do you look? We always, because we're humans and we were born this way, is to look at the hazard. So we're going to look at the side of the road. We're going to look at the oncoming you know, truck that's in the oncoming lane. And we're going to go to it because of target fixation. So look where you want to be, not where you're afraid to be. Lean the bike more. It's literally everything that's contrary to to uh to what your mind is is naturally telling you to do yep and, and we have to untrain ourselves we are not born motorcyclists <laughs> unlike some people think they were born to ride we're not born <laughs> motorcyclists we the things that naturally come to us instinctively are counter to what is good for our health as motorcyclists well can i just like you said leaning more that's scary there's a book that is out there called uh, um, uh, The Upper Half of the Motorcycle. I actually wrote the foreword to that book. Uh, it's a German uh, author uh, who it was translated to, to English uh, a few years back. He uh, came up with this theory, and I think it's correct, that humans are born with a uh, lean angle limit of 20 degrees. Hmm. And how did he determine that? It was because when we're born, it... If we're born with no shoes, no, no, no sneakers, and no pavement. We're, you know, back in our, uh, in our ancestors, it was grass or dirt, and we were barefoot. If we run as fast as we can in a circle without sliding, that's 20 degrees. Huh. What's if you're riding a horse in a circle? 20 degrees. That's it. That you were born to, what was the phrase? You were born to? Uh, you were born to, you, your lean angle limit is, is, 20 degrees when you're born. So when you were born, you did not have tires and pavement and things like that that allow us now, or sneakers, to allow us to actually lean more than 20 degrees. That's new. Uh, So when we get on a motorcycle, if you've ever had a passenger on the back who's never been on a motorcycle before, you're going to see this lean angle limit demonstrated because you start to lean into a corner, what do they do? They freak out and they they lean upright. And it's causing you to have to lean the bike more. So they, they freak out. You go into the first bend that's beyond 20 degrees, and they go, ah, and then they, they sit upright. Huh. Um, so that's it. So we're born with that 20 degrees as well, but we have to lean a whole lot deeper than 20 degrees if we're going to ride on, on the streets, certainly in New England. And uh, so what does that mean? It means that when we get on a motorcycle, new riders are pretty nervous about leaning. I've taught beginner riders for 20 years, and... You can see some people who've ridden bicycles before, who've skied before, uh, they, they already have broken through that limit, you know. But people who have never really done, uh, done sports or anything that's, that requires that, 
a conscious need to lean, they struggle. Mm-hmm. Ken, we're uh, we're running we're running out of time here, but before we uh, before we close, I wanted to. Um, ask you to talk a little bit about the resources that you have available to writers who want to know more about your philosophy. Now, we know about your books, Riding in the Zone and Motorcycling the Right Way. You also have a pretty comprehensive website. What what would you like writers to know? What's the best uh, way to get information? Yeah, um, ridinginthezone.com. I've got a whole bunch of articles up there. They're there for free. Um, and also, you can find out how to sign up for one of my uh, street courses. I also offer an uh, advanced parking lot course. This goes beyond what the uh, MSF or state-run programs uh, offer. Um, those are up there. I do for street riding, uh, street training. It's on the street, which I'm the only one in New England doing this. Um, if you want actual practical training um, that's real-time, I hook you up. You do not have to have communicators. I supply those. And we go for a ride, and I bring you to all the beautiful spots out here in the Berkshires, uh, that uh, that uh, really put you, it's your classroom. I put you out there and I challenge you to the degree that you're comfortable. I never push anybody past their comfort. And then what I then recommend after people have done that is that they take a track day. Now this is something that particularly with the riders of, of heavyweight uh, cruisers that are like racetrack, you know, track day, why would I do that? I don't want to race. Well, this is a classroom. It's even a more concentrated opportunity to learn uh, how to corner and really master cornering and also with all aspects of it. Now, we have a very specific track day that we've uh, started about three years ago. It's called We call it our non-sport bike, either non-sport bike track day, but it's a non-sport bike street rider training day. And that's for all types of bikes. You'll see all sorts of cruisers, headway cruisers. You'll see tours. You'll see adventure bikes, everything out there. And we treat that more like a school. Because our normal track days, which we do once a month, uh, that's for the you know the kids on the R6s and that kind of thing. Actually, there's not many kids. They're all more like 40-year-olds. And uh, that we do that all the time. This is the special days, and we're doing two this year. Our, our May 7th one is sold out. But we have another one on July 24th, uh, uh, 2018, and that one's open. And actually, we're talking now about some of the New England Harley um, uh, dealers getting involved and promoting this. So we're hoping to have a lot of orange and black at this this next track day yeah and i only hear rave reviews about every single class that anyone has ever interacted with you on any level for that matter ken on on uh on ice on uh pavement on on uh parking lots so i mean it's exciting stuff and you know we we watch all your videos but we certainly encourage everybody to go on the website ridinginthezone.com I mean, his blog alone, how many articles are on that, Ken? I think I counted them recently as something like 115, something like that. Yeah, and they're fantastic articles. I mean, Mark, you and I read some of these. But if you haven't had a chance to check out his website, ridinginthezone.com, highly recommended. Ken, we are uh, very appreciative of you joining us today and uh, looking forward to, to taking some of these uh, classes and uh, hope, hope our listeners take an opportunity to check out your website. Um, We really, really appreciate you joining us today. I appreciate you having me, John. Thanks for listening to the Behind the Bars podcast, sponsored by Wilkins Harley-Davidson. Stay tuned for our next exciting podcast. Check out additional information on WilkinsHarley.com.